Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 38 to verse 48. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? You're not even the tax gatherers. Do the same. And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We've been going through the book of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. One of the things that we have <coughs> sought to convey to you, I trust by now you'll get the main gist. Jesus is out to correct pharisaical misunderstandings and misapplications of the Mosaic Law. Always keep in mind this. What Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and following. I did not come to abolish the law of the prophets. I came to fulfill or to confirm the law. And anyone who teaches uh, someone to do otherwise will be said to be least in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus did not contradict the law of Moses. He magnified the law of Moses. He, he corrected misapplications and misunderstandings of the law of Moses. He rebuked traditions that contradicted the law of Moses, but he fulfilled it, and this is what he's doing, is correcting another abuse that the Pharisees had derived from the law of Moses with reference to how we are to deal with our neighbor, how we're to deal with our enemies. Now, while the Pharisees, in verse 38 at least quoted it correctly there when it says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. They did correct, uh, quote that correctly from the law of Moses. For example, turn to Exodus 21, 23. Well, let's start with verse 22. And if men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child, so that she has a miscarriage, yet there is no further injury. He shall surely be fined as a woman's husband may demand of him. And he shall pay the judges as the judges decide. But if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Now, this is called, the technical term for this is called the Lex 
retaliones, which means the law of retaliation. And in this law of retaliation, the Pharisees had misapplied what this law means. This law has reference to civil matters in our dealings with one another. And what they had done is that they had taken this and they had made it a matter of personal revenge. And that's probably how a lot of people interpret this passage. You probably have heard this. People say, well, as in the Old Testament, it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And they are referencing the idea that if someone has done you harm, then it's payback time. You get back at them. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Well, there is a retaliation, but there is a retaliation that I am not to take, you're not to take. There are only certain people who have been authorized to retaliate. Number one, God, as we're going to see as we develop this message. And number two, those whom God has authorized to be the representatives to exercise certain retaliation in civil matters. But what the Pharisees had done is that they had taken correctly the law of Moses, but misunderstood it, misapplied it, because they had darkened hearts, as Jesus said. They had their own motives, and they had abused it. And so they had turned what was to be the law, the civil law that the punishment is not to be any greater or any less than what the offense demands. That's why uh, it's a tooth for a tooth, an eye for an eye, a burn for a burn, and life for life. You don't exact life for a burn. We talked about in the, in the Sunday school hour about uh, the law of Moses and uh, certain restitution that's to be carried out. And so what we see here, what the Pharisees had managed to do is that they had actually destroyed the purpose of the law and how they were using it. And one of the sad things, as we have seen, and unfortunately, Hollywood likes to magnify this, and they like to uh, take certain scenarios of some really bad guys that do wicked things to people, but nothing's being done about it. So they take up, they get some hero who takes up personal revenge against the bad guy, and then it's glorified. And what that does, it, uh, it promotes the idea of vigilantism, which the Bible forbids, by the way. The Bible doesn't sanction vigilantism. And as we're going to see, when there is an, an injustice, what does God expect us to do about it? Well, we'll see what Jesus tells us what to do about it. In fact, what the law of Moses tells us to do about it when there are certain injustices done. But one thing is sure. We don't exact personal revenge. 
So there were a few passages in our text here in, in Matthew 5. There are probably few passages in all the Word of God that are as misunderstood and misapplied as this section that we're dealing with today, verses 40, uh, 38 through 48. Uh, <clears throat> I'll be the first to tell you, as a young Christian, when I was in college, I was confused. Did you know I was a pacifist at one time? I was so much a pacifist. Not only did I not think that you ought to nationally defend yourself, I didn't think you ought to protect yourself in your home either. And you know why I thought that? Just what other people thought. They read this passage and Jesus says, Well, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the left cheek to them. And that's what Jesus said, didn't he? On that basis, there are other groups that have become pacifists in terms of, of war and the like and, and doing it. I just was taking it to what I thought was the logical conclusion of what the passage was. I will tell you this, I had to learn very hard way on that matter. So the issue here is, does loving your enemy mean that there is never any justification for a just war? If that's what it means, then we have a real problem in Scripture because you look into the Old Testament and you're going to see, first of all, the wars of Jehovah and God authorizing Israel to go in and conquer the land of Canaan, dispossess uh, the land from all of these heathen nations from that. Even after the wars of Jehovah, uh, you read in the Scriptures that there are many instances where... Uh, for example, the scripture authorizes uh, the use of lethal force in proper situations. Granted, there are many ungodly reasons for fighting wars, but are we to say that there is no justifiable self-defense for a nation based on this passage? I mean, I wasn't the only one who thought that. There are still others that thought that no, we just give it over to Jesus. See what happens. I don't know if you know the story. Perhaps you do. It's, I'd be surprised. Uh, it's so well known in certain se- uh, sector, sections. About Alvin York. You know the story of Alvin York in World War I uh, from Tennessee. He was a extremely good marksman. Liked to go hunting. Took out a lot of turkeys. And World War One uh, came up, and a lot of people were volunteering. He said, well, Alvin, why aren't you volunteering? He says, well, the good book says, turn the other cheek, and all this. And he refused, out of conscientious objection, to go fight. And you may have seen the movie about Alvin York or whatever, and it took a, a military man. That took, he said, well, you believe in the good book? I believe in the good book. So he was trying to help. Alvin to see what the scripture says and finally convinced Alvin that it wasn't unbiblical in certain instances for self-defense. And then, you know, the rest of the story he becomes one of the great heroes, probably the greatest hero out of World War I in uh, capturing German soldiers single-handedly. But I don't know if 
<clears throat> I don't want to get into all the pros and the cons today of, for example, the legitimacy of World War One. Um, as such, a much better case can be dealt with for the legitimacy of World War II and what was going on, but that's for another topic for another day. But does loving your enemy, does it also mean that we just allow someone to just beat us up, to rob us, to do all kinds of evil against us? Is, is that what Jesus said? If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the left cheek to them also. Any time that you and I have a difficulty with a verse, actually the Westminster Divines, they anticipated this. And in their chapter 1 on Scripture, they give us some principles. It says, when you have a passage that is difficult, and they acknowledge there are some passages more difficult than others, then the principle is you interpret the more difficult passage by those passages that bear more light. So you interpret Scripture by scripture. And so when Jesus said not to resist evil, because that's what he said in our text, he says, do not resist evil. Turn the other cheek. This was not setting aside, here's what we're going to say. It was not setting aside national self-defense. It was not setting aside self-defense for yourself or for your family. When you compare scripture with scripture. So not only did the Pharisees misunderstand and teach by this passage of the law of Moses personal revenge, other people have misunderstood it, like I once did, thinking it taught pacifism, when it really doesn't teach that. Let me say this at the outset. The New Testament does not have a superior ethic to the Old Testament. There are some, you've probably heard this, some people say, well, the God of the Old Testament is a vindictive God, a cruel God. But the God of the New Testament is a God of love. You've heard, you've read that, probably heard people say that. Well, that's not true. The God of the Old Testament is the same God as the New Testament. And as we're going to see all these admonitions that Jesus is giving in Matthew 5, I'm going to demonstrate to you, they can be supported in the Old Testament. So the, Old, the, the Scripture teaches one ethic. And what we have to do is to go to the Scriptures and carefully examine it to discern what that ethic is. So, God commanded the wars of Jehovah in the land of Canaan. After that, he commanded Israel to uh, defend itself lawfully against invading armies. And in the Old Testament, you can go through and you can see there are rules of warfare that are to be conducted uh, after the wars of Jehovah. The wars of Jehovah are distinct. That was the conquest of the land. After that, God sanctioned national self-defense, and he set out the rules for doing that. Godly kings, if you read about the godly kings in First and Second Kings or in the Chronicles, one of the things, not only did they have their heart turned to the Lord and keep his commandments, virtually every one of the godly kings, read it for yourself, 
And you, here you'll see this. It says they fortified the border cities of Israel. What did that mean? The border cities were the first line of defense against invading armies. And so the godly kings, they saw the need for self-defense, and so they fortified those border cities as a line of defense. Let's take a look at uh, several passages in the Old Testament that would sanction uh, legitimate self-defense. Turn with me to Psalm 144, verse 1. It says, A psalm of David. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. And we're told David, remember, Saul became jealous because, remember, in the wars against the enemies of Israel, they came back and said, Saul's killed his thousands, but David has tens of thousands. And then that made Saul jealous. David understood. He says, God has trained my hands for war. Um, take a look at, turn over to Proverbs 24, verse 6. For by wise guidance you will wage war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Wise guidance you will wage war. So obviously there is a justifiable war, otherwise the scripture would say. And then Ecclesiastes, just turn right over after Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 8. In that section, which there was a song made in the 60s about. There is a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Did Jesus then forbid self-defense? So when, when, this, when Jesus said, resist not evil... When someone slaps you in the right cheek, turn to him the left. Jesus, is he saying we don't engage in self-defense? Well, the same Jesus who says what he did in Matthew 5 also said this. Turn with me to Luke 22. And look at verse 36. Well, let's start at verse 35. And he said to them, when I sent you out without purse and bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? And they said, no, nothing. And he said to them, but now let him who has a purse take it along, likewise also a bag, and let him who has no sword sell his robe and buy one. For I tell you that that which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he has numbered with the transgressors. For that which refers uh, to me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. So, 
In this, we see that Jesus is not against self-defense. He actually tells the, um, and the reason that he tells them this, and Paul, by the way, in 2 Corinthians 11, when he talks about all the things that he's going to go through as an apostle, what the other apostles should expect, he says it was a very dangerous thing to be engaged in missionary activity. Because he says there's a lot of things that we have to face. And one of the things Paul said was robbers. I'm telling you, if a robber is coming up, it's a, it's a good thing to have a, a weapon of self-defense. And, uh, <clears throat> by the way, <clears throat> when we were in Georgia, staying with Mike Doster, he told me a story of his... His mom was like 84, 85. She remarried at age 80. He said ran off and remarried a man who's 86. He does all this work in his garden. He says, this is big time work, John Garden. I'm telling you. He does five push-ups a day. He does all. He's 87. And about a month ago, he and his mom were out somewhere. And they came in the driveway. And these two, <clears throat> two guys came up to the driveway and pointing the finger says, you're going to take us wherever we say. And the 87-year-old father, he, he goes like this. He pulls out again and says, I don't think so. <laughs> and they scattered to the four winds. It's the modern equivalent of having that sword, right? For self-defense. Jesus sanctioned self-defense. Now, this is the same Jesus who just told us in Matthew 5... Don't resist evil. Turn the other cheek. But we've got to understand the context of what Jesus was saying so that it, we don't have a conflict or a contradiction in the Word of God. See, an understanding of Matthew, let's t- turn back to Matthew 5. See, the, the right understanding of Matthew 5, 39 through 42, is understood by what follows it in verses 43 through 48. And by the way, Jesus says, when he's he's talking about here, in verses uh, 38 or 39 through 42, he talks about not resisting evil, uh, giving your shirt to someone who needs it, someone who forces you to go a mile, go two miles. And then he talks about, uh, you shall, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which was not correct. So what Jesus is doing here, he's going to set the record straight as to what it means, what the Mosaic Law really meant, and how it's to be applied. Luke's version, if you turn over to Luke, turn over to Luke chapter 6. And you're going to see, really, the order is reversed. This is Luke's version of the same incident. But if you start at verse 27 of Luke, it says, But I say to you, uh, you go here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. And then he kind of, now he says, Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. 
Now, what Jesus is seeking to do in his correction of the Pharisees, Jesus is condemning this lovelessness, this hatred, this desire for revenge that was so prevalent in people. I mean, is that, is that not part of the sinful nature? If someone hurts you, what's your first natural reaction? To strike back. Somebody says something ugly, say something ugly back. I mean, that's the natural tendency. But that's the natural sinful tendency. And what Jesus is driving at here is that we are not to have hearts that are unloving, unforgiving, and vindictive. Jesus is forbidding personal vengeance here. And Jesus is telling us how to live in relationship to one another in our communal situation. This is what Jesus is talking about. And what the problem was with the Pharisees is that they had this desire for revenge, and this desire for revenge was put upon the law of God. It says, well, after all, it says an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And so they made that the basis for vengeance, and they had abused the Mosaic law at that point. Because we've, we've already said that is in case of civil uh, litigation of how to deal uh, with personal offenses uh, in, in courts of law. So, as I've already said, the natural tendency is a sinful reaction to strike back. There is that desire within us to have, if someone has really done us wrong, to, to strike back. Now, we need to have this understanding, and it's important. We are concerned about justice, right? When someone does us wrong, we want justice. Well, here's what we need to understand. There is payback time. There is a legitimate payback time. There is legitimate vengeance. But guess what? I'm not to be the one. God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. There's a big difference. And brethren, you'll do well to understand that difference and appreciate that. And it's understanding that in terms of this payback time, you know, God is the only one who can exercise true vengeance, and we're going to take a look at some passages where God says that, only God can exercise perfect vengeance not, and not sinful vengeance, as we're going to say. And as we know, this one who exercises vengeance, when Jesus comes back the second time, when in his second coming, he's not going to come in a way like he came the first time. He's going to come back in a, in a way to be the one who will judge all men. And as Matthew 25 says, he will set the nations before him, the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And all those who are his, he will send them 
to the joys of his Father in heaven. And those who are unbelievers, he will assign them to hell where there's gnashing of teeth forever. Jesus is the judge. And that day, we'll look at in a moment, that is the ultimate payback time where God says, vengeance is mine. And so what we need to understand is you and I are not to exercise the personal vengeance. We're to leave it to God because God knows how to deal with it the right way. You know, when you understand this aspect, it is really life transforming because you and I are going to go through life and there are going to be instances, I assure you, when people are going to mistreat you. So what is, your, what is to be my personal reaction when somebody mistreats me? Jesus tells me when, how I'm supposed to react. And I need to appreciate what Jesus says. Don't resist the evil. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. In your relationship with one another. And he says, you leave vengeance to me. And the sooner that you and I learn that, the better off we will be. The better off we will be and the more at peace we will be when those injustices happen to us. So, we need to understand what Jesus is referring to is communal living with one another. That's the context of Matthew 5 is how we're to live in relationship to my neighbor. We're not talking about terrorists. We're not talking about thugs who want to uh, rob us on the, the street. We're not talking about that. Jesus is not referring to that. He says, go get you a sword. And so, <clears throat> let's begin to talk about, and this is important to understand, who is my neighbor, after all? And the sooner that you and I grasp this fact of who is my neighbor, then we will advance in our understanding of how to relate to the Lord properly. Turn to Leviticus 19. Look at verse 18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now remember what Jesus said that the people had been told and what the Pharisees were saying? You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Where did I just read from? The Old Testament. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Well, so much for the idea that God of the Old Testament is a God of hate, not of love. But right here we see the God of the Old Testament says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so, in the Old Testament, it says don't exercise personal vengeance. In the New Testament, don't exercise personal vengeance. And so, it's not the idea, so when the Old Testament says, and the Mosaic Law says, 
An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It has to deal with the proper application of restitution in terms of offenses. Personal vengeance is forbidden. Here in the Old Testament, do not bear any grudge against the sons of your people. So the emphasis in this text is on love over against vengeance. This is the Old Testament now. Love over against vengeance. And so what Jesus is doing in our passage in Matthew 5 says, You have heard that it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Jesus said, that's not what the Old Testament said. That's not what the Mosaic Law said. No, we're to love my neighbor. I mean, I were to love my enemy. I'm not to take vengeance against them. The pharisaical error was drawing a sharp contrast between neighbor and enemy as if you're to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And that was their mistake. Now, I will take us back. What I'm going to do, I'm going to take us back and forth from the Old Testament to the New Testament deliberately to show you. Remember I said earlier, the New Testament does not have a superior ethic than the Old Testament. It's the same ethic. So, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Look at verses 17 through 21. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, Paul is going to be found consistent with what Jesus said. And Paul is quoting the Old Testament, mind you, in these statements. Well, let's specify, all I'm going to do is specify the seven principles brought out in this passage. And what are those principles? Number one, verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Second principle, endeavor as much as it is possible with with you to be at peace with all men. That's verse 18. Third principle, never take personal vengeance. Verse 19. Fourth principle, but leave room for the wrath of God Now, note that the contrast between personal vengeance and God's vengeance. I don't take personal vengeance. Why? Because God is much better at it than I am. Because he can do it perfectly, and he can do it not sinfully, like I may. Fifth principle. God exercises vengeance 
So let God be your avenger. And as we said, God is much more capable than us in this, if there is an injustice done. Sixth principle, do good to your enemy. Feed him and give him water. And what will be the result? It will heat burning coals of fire on his head. I'll mention more about this near the end of the message. And then the seventh principle here, we overcome evil not with evil, but with good. Now, Paul is making reference to Old Testament truths in what he set forth here. Again, remember Leviticus 19.18 that I just read a moment ago said that we're not to take personal vengeance. We're not to hold any grudge against our... And the text says, if you want to turn back, notice, I want you to see what the text does say again. Because I want to point this out to us. Again, in Leviticus 19.18. Do not bear any grudge against, quote, the sons of your people. That means fellow Israelites. Now, does that mean I can mistreat the Gentiles? It's not my countrymen? Does that give me an opening? Well, just take a look over at verse 34 of Leviticus 19. Start at verse 33. When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, And you shall love him as yourself, for you are aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So the the Old Testament says you don't have to bear grudges against or uh, exercise personal vengeance against your own countrymen, nor those foreigners who are in your midst either. So my neighbor is not only my fellow brother, but my neighbor is... Also, someone other than that. Remember, Jesus was miscorrecting uh, pharisaical abuses of the law. And it's not as if we are only to love our neighbor and we're not to hate our enemy. The question that some were asking Jesus, as we're going to see in a moment, who is my neighbor? Well, turn with me and Jesus will answer that. Turn to Luke 10. Because that's important to know. Who is my neighbor? That I'm not to exercise personal vengeance towards. That I'm to love as myself. So who, who is that neighbor? Well, let's read verses 25-37. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher... What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he said, You shall love the Lord with your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus is going to tell him. Look at verse 30 and following. Jesus replied and said, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, 
And he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went off leaving him half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. And likewise, a Levite, who also, uh, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. But a certain Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day he took out two denarii, gave it uh, them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. Whatever more you uh, spend when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell in the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. So who's my neighbor? Anybody who needs to be shown mercy is my neighbor. That's my neighbor. Anyone I need to show compassion to, that's my neighbor. And so, brethren, we need to learn this lesson well from Scripture. My neighbor is anyone who lives in community with me. Even my enemies live in community with me. Now, again, I want to clarify, we're not talking about personal self-defense. We're not talking about family self-defense, nor national defense. The same Jesus who taught us not to resist evil, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to turn the other cheek, is again the same Jesus who told us to go get, told his disciples, go get a sword when you go out preaching. Yeah, you heard the preacher say, the preacher said, go get a gun. That's what I heard the preacher say today. Well, go get a gun. Hey, do you like what the state of Kansas said to Obama's federal uh, <clears throat> legislation of guns just recently? The state legislature of Kansas passed and passed and signed by the Governor Brombeck of Kansas. Here's what the state law of Kansas now reads. Kansas's law declares that the federal government has no authority to regulate guns ammunition, and accessories manufactured, sold, and kept only in Kansas. The law also makes it a felony for a federal agent to enforce any law, regulation, order, or treaty covering those items. The new statute says that Kansas-only guns, ammunition, and accessories aren't a part of interstate commerce which the federal government regulates under the United States Constitution. But in a letter to Brombeck, Holder, referring to Attorney General Eric Holder, uh, Holder said that the Constitution prohibits states from preempting federal laws. And you know what, how the, the governor responded? He says, Mr. Holder, you're pounding in sand in Kansas. Don't come into Kansas and regulate guns manufactured in Kansas. 
Yeah, you have a right to govern interstate commerce, but we're not we're not sending our guns outside of Kansas that has the name made in Kansas. So your federal law has no binding authorization in the state of Kansas. So they're going to fight it out in court. Sounds kind of reminiscent a little bit of 1861 of another tyrant who thought himself to be above the law. Well, back to our text. The Mosaic law forbids personal vengeance. We've already seen that the Old Testament reinforces, the, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament reinforces the Mosaic law. For example, take a look at Proverbs 20, 22. Proverbs 20, 22. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. Isn't that a wonderful passage? Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord. He will save you. Yes, the Old Testament says not to be vengeful, but leave vengeance to God. Is this not exactly what Paul said in Romans twelve nineteen when he says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the, vengeance, the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. What do you think Paul was referring to but this passage in the Old Testament, in part? Not only was he referring to that, but he's referring to the Mosaic Law as well. Take a look at Proverbs 24, verse 29. Do not say, thus I shall do to him as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. Don't say that. So when they take something from me, don't say, I want to get them back. Just don't say that. Don't have the attitude, well, I will render to the man according to his word. He did it to me. I'm going to do likewise to him. Don't say that, the scripture says. Where am I reading? The Old Testament. What did Jesus say in the New Testament? Don't resist evil. He's talking about how to live in relationship to your neighbor. That's what we're talking about. Do you see the important distinction of what we're to do in living in relationship to one another over against thugs, terrorists, and the like, and self-defense? It's an important distinction. It was a distinction I failed to see as a young Christian. I could have used a sermon like this 30-some years ago. I did have a pastor help me out, not of the depth of what he did. He looked, did help me out with some passages, but I sure could have used a message like this before I went off on the deep end with pacifism for a short period of time. In this regard, we'll turn to Deuteronomy 32. Take a look at Deuteronomy 32, verses 35 and 36. Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time, their foot 
will slip. For the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. For the Lord will vindicate his people, and will have compassion on his servants, when he sees that their strength is gone, and there is none remaining bond or free. What did Paul say? Never take your own vengeance. Leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. <coughs> right out of the Mosaic Law. No conflict with Jesus, the Mosaic Law. No conflict with Paul and Mosaic Law, but, but an agreement with it. No superior ethic in the New Testament as opposed to the Old Testament. Again, here when it says, God says, vengeance is mine and retribution. Retribution is meaning an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, life for life. Sometimes you've got to leave it in the hands of God to deal with the enemies. But you know, that's the best place to leave it. Because God knows how to deal with your enemies. And so what we see, um, not only did the Mosaic Law forbid personal vengeance, it also told us, you ready for this, to assist our enemy. <laughs> really? Turn to Exodus 23 and look at verses 4 and 5. Now, remember what the Pharisees said. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, I'm to love my neighbor and hate my enemy. You, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said. But he says, you didn't hear it out of the Old Testament. Because here's the Old Testament. Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. And if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, and you shall refrain from leaving it to him, you shall surely release it with him. Wow. Someone has really mistreated you. And, uh, I mean, you just, they have done wrong against you. And his precious dog that he has spent $5,000 for. Some people can spend that kind of money for a dog. It's, he's, it's been lost. And guess what? It wanders into your yard. So what are you going to do with that person who has nothing been nothing but pain in your neck? He's your enemy. Remember, we're talking about communal relationships. We're talking about enemies within the confines of relationships to one another. So that neighbor who has done nothing but bad things to you, dog has, has wanted your yard. What are you supposed to do? You shall get that dog and you shall take it over to that neighbor. And you should give it to him. And you might be waiting for a thank you. He goes, hmm. Shuts the door. Did you love your neighbor? Did you love your enemy? Absolutely. 
if you had a $5,000 dog that was lost, would you want someone to return it to you? Of course you would. Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. So, again, the enemy that's being referred to is in relationship with living with one another. We're not talking about those who are breaking into your homes and trying to steal, do you harm. We're not talking about the terrorists who want to kill us all. Again, I want to emphasize here what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying. In Romans 12, 20 through 21, um, Jesus is saying we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Why? Now, look at Matthew 5. I'm just reading Matthew 5. Look at Matthew 5 again. Verse 43 and following, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Because you love only those who love you, what reward have you? You haven't done anything more than Gentiles do. You haven't done anything magnanimous. Pagans do that. They love those who love them. What is magnanimous is when you love your enemies. That's what's special. And so, what does he say? Now, Paul said, how do you overcome evil? Fire with fire. You overcome evil with good. You overcome evil with good. And when you feed your enemy and you give them water to drink, it says you're heaping coals of fire upon their head. Now, to give you sort of an idea what that means, there's a great place in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Old Testament. As every story is in the Old Testament. <laughs> Turn to Second Kings six. Look at Second Kings six, beginning at verse fourteen through twenty-three. All right. Let me set the context here. Elisha is now the prophet succeeded Elijah. And the, there are those who want to destroy the prophet. The Arameans have an army hunting for the prophet. Okay? If, you, if there was ever odds against to have a whole army hunting for you, Daniel, that's not good, is it? All right. Look at uh, verse 14. And he sent... <coughs> horses and chariots and a great army there, they came by night and surrounded the city, meaning they surrounded the city where Elisha and his servant were. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots were circling the city, and his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? 
There's a whole army that's just surrounded us. And Elisha panicked. He said, Lord, look at verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You see, it wasn't, the whole story wasn't there. What are we going to do? Well, there are angels waiting. I'll never forget this. This is lesser than this. I had a friend named Calvin who had this best trained German shepherd I had ever seen. There was an instance where a guy sideswiped Calvin in his truck and took off. Well, Calvin decided, I feel like sort of a little personal vengeance maybe. He took after him, courted the guy. The guy, now Calvin's with his friend, his co-worker, and he always took Bruno, which was the name of the dog, with him everywhere, on the work site, everywhere. When he told Bruno to stay one time, he left Atlanta, and two hours later he forgot. And he left Bruno on the job site. He told Bruno to stay under a car. When he got back, Bruno was still under the car, because that's where he told Bruno to stay. So this is how obedient this dog was. So when Calvin, he, he cornered this guy, and <clears throat> the guy gets out with a tire iron. He comes up, and he looks back, and there's Bruno. Like this. And here's all you say. And, and, and his worker says, I don't think that will be a wise move. Because all Bruno was waiting for was, just tell me. Just give me the command. I'll take care of him. And the guy dropped the iron backs off, you know, and the police arrived. Well, <clears throat> greater than that story is this story where the angels of heaven are ready to decimate this army, right? All they're waiting for is the command of God to destroy the Arameans, and they're destroyed. Well, what happens? Look at the text. It says, uh, verse 18, And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. So the whole army is blinded now. Then Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you see. He said, I'm not that prophet. <laughs> yeah, he is. And he brought them to Samaria, and it came about when they had come into Samaria that Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria, now they're on the other side of the track. Then the king of Israel, when he saw them, said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? And he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those who have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Stop right there. This was the army that was gathered to destroy the prophet. He blinds them, takes them to the territory of Samaria, which is 
the king of Israel's territory, and now the tide has turned against the Aramean army. Now they are about to be destroyed. He says, don't destroy them. You've taken them captive. Give them bread and water. Now, were they their enemies? Well, of course. What did Jesus say? What did Paul say? Don't take personal vengeance. He says, if you're hungry, your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them drink. That's what he gave them. Now, what was the result of doing that? Look at verse 23. So he prepared a great feast for them, and when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the marauding bands of Arameans did not come again into the land of Israel. Now, let me ask you something. Did that act of compassion, undeserved grace, we could say, did he uh, coals of burning fire in their head? It sure did. They never again were enemies against Israel. So, this is probably one of the precedents that Paul was referring to, probably this story he had in mind when he said what he did in Romans chapter 12. Well, let me conclude the message with this. Remember, the whole purpose, Jesus was saying, the Pharisees had misunderstood the law of Moses, had turned it into personal vengeance, when the law was never about personal vengeance, the Bible forbid personal vengeance. In your living in relationship to one another, you're to love your neighbor, you're to love your enemy, and even to feed your enemy and give them water when they are, and in so doing you will impact them for a good cause. And if there is something that needs to be paid back, vengeance, Paul says, Leave room for the wrath of God. God will deal with it in his due time. Let me close with this passage. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verse 6 through verse 10. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Dealing out what? Retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. The day of, the, the day of judgment is coming when God will repay everything to those who deserve to be dealt with. And God says, I know how to deal out vengeance. And I will deal with them. And if there are those who hated you without cause, I will send them to hell where they deserve to go. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. I will repay. But you, 
you're not to have personal revenge. Not you. Me. And your relationship to one another? Love each other. Show compassion. Show mercy. Who's my neighbor? Anybody in relationship to me. Do you have a right for self-defense as an individual and a family as a country? Yes, you do. Do you have a right to carry a gun? Yes, you do. But you have the same obligation not to show revenge. See how Jesus corrected the misuse of the Mosaic Law and set forth its true meaning? And that's why you, in, you interpret Scripture by Scripture. You interpret the more difficult passages like Matthew 5 with the clearer passages. And that's what I've done for you today. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to overcome our sinful proclivities, to exercise personal vengeance when those do us wrong. Lord, help us to lead it into your sovereign hands. Help us to love our enemies. Help us to do good to those who do evil to us. For the glory of Jesus, amen.